want to thank the vets and, and the whole staff, uh, the Hoopers, and hosting us. And uh, as Gary said, it's, it, you know, it is very uh, encouraging to come and, and just to, to see the church. And no matter where you go, we're the same. Uh, some differences, like the first three songs, I just realized I don't have the rhythm to sing here. I, I can't do it, but I was trying. I was doing my best. And uh, then we got into others that I could actually keep up with, so that was good. Uh, but uh, I also see that, that we like sitting in our sections. We got the teens over there, and, and the camp is over here, and I appreciate, appreciate the apology. But also, I went and sat over there not knowing that that was the campus area. And so my stuff got kind of moved a little bit. And uh, so they kicked me out of the campus area. But they're very polite about it. They said, we don't let old people sit with us. So it's like, that's cool. No problem. That's, that's how you roll here. I get it. Slap people in the back, kick them out of their seats. Very straightforward with the announcements. Don't marry a jerk. I like that. It's not, you don't have to wonder what the class is about. It's like, oh, what do they really mean by that? That's, I like that. So that, that's really great. And, um. But I am very humbled to be here. We actually had another brother, another evangelist, Marshall Mead, that was going to be here. He was actually going to preach today. And so I apologize that I didn't come dressed, uh, you know, to preach. But in California, this is like a tuxedo, so I'm good. So this is actually, I'm dressing up. But uh, yeah, Marshall was going to come. He's an incredible speaker and a great friend, and he's part of the staff in Orange County. But they weren't letting any flights into Dallas, so he just couldn't get here. And so he was very bummed that he couldn't come, but maybe another time he, you'll get a chance to, to meet him and to hear from him. But, um, so we were supposed to have four of us here, but uh, that didn't happen. But uh, I am uh, very, very grateful to be here, and uh, I've been in the ministry, uh, I've been in Orange County uh, since 1990, actually was born and raised in Mexico. Uh, and so, <laughs> that's Derek's Spanish right there. That's, that's the ex- that's the extent of it. That's, that's it. That's the amen in Spanish. But um, I hear that we have some of our Latin, Latin brothers and sisters here. So, hermanos, es, es un gusto estar aquí con ustedes. Eh, eh, estoy este, muy entusiasmado de estar aquí con ustedes y poder compartir. Eh, voy a predicar en inglés, perdón, pero tal vez en otra ocasión me, me te, tenga la oportunidad de predicar en español. Pero es un gusto estar aquí con ustedes. Amén. There's the amen. So I was born and raised in Mexico, and so I want to tell you a little bit about me before I get into the lesson. I I moved to to the U.S., uh, to California, to Orange County specifically, in 1990 with my family. And um, I went to high school there. Uh, I was 14 when I moved here. And then uh, when I turned 18 after I graduated high school uh, in 1995, uh, my sister... Uh, was met on campus uh, at, uh, at one of the junior colleges there in, in Orange County at Saddleback College. And she became a Christian. And two weeks later, my mom got baptized and also became a Christian. And so I was living at home at the time, and, um, which when you're 18 or 19, that's still okay. Um, and of course, they reached, you know, they wanted me to come to church. They, they invited me, of course, over and over, as, as we've all done with our family, right? When we uh, become a Christian. We're so excited about what we found uh, for ourselves, and we want our whole family to know it. And so they, they of course, were, 
were reaching out to me, but I just wasn't ready. I, I was uh, a lot like Gary shared. I was just partying, and I knew that I knew what I was doing wasn't right, uh, but I wasn't ready to change. And but it didn't take long before, as Gary shared, uh, I was able to see what sin was doing in my life, and uh, I was very uh, just came to, to a point where I just realized this is not what I imagined my life becoming, and. Uh, and so I knew where to go because I had seen my sister and my mom change so much that I didn't have to wonder, where do I go? I was very, I feel very blessed by God in that. And so I went out to church and um, was part of the college group there, the campus ministry. And in 97, I got baptized. So I just celebrated 18 years of being a Christian. And, um, and it's really, it's so humbling because I just, I often think about where would my life be right now? With 18 more years of sin and regret and shame and all of that, you know, that comes with it. And I am so grateful to God that he saved me, that he pulled me out of that life. And because I don't know where I would be, I don't know if I'd even be alive, uh, but I know my life would not be in a good place. And, uh, and so if you are visiting, if you are, uh, you know, a teen and you're studying the Bible or a college student, uh, just this is the best decision you'll ever make in your life, and, and uh, uh, I've had no regrets uh, since becoming a Christian. Of course, I've made a lot of mistakes, and, and I've learned from those, but uh, in terms of becoming a disciple, I've never regretted that decision. Uh, God has blessed my life, and I have a couple pictures because people like me more when they see my family, so those are my kids. Uh, that's a Christmas. Uh, that's my daughter, Sophia. She is uh, going to turn nine in five days. And, uh, and then that's my son, my son Eli. He's going to turn eight in about six weeks. So 13 months apart. So, yeah, wow. So that's what we said. Uh, but uh, it's a little better now. And, uh, and, and they're, they're awesome. Uh, I'll share a little bit more, especially about my son. That's my wife, Candace. And that's uh, our family day when we went bowling. Uh, had the bumpers put up. I said it was for the kids, but it really helped my score. So that was good. Everybody wins. Um, but I'm going to share a little bit about my son here in just a little bit. He was diagnosed with autism when he was two, and so I'll kind of share a little bit during the lesson about how that's, uh, and really in so many ways, has been an incredible blessing to our family. Uh, of course, at first it didn't feel that way, but, uh, but I will share just how God has used that. And uh, we have ties to, to Dallas uh, area, Fort Worth. My brother uh, is, went to school at TCU uh, down in uh, Fort Worth. Uh, played tennis there, and now he's a head tennis coach at, at TCU, and I'm actually going to get to go later on today and watch their match. And so uh, uh, he, is, uh, he feels more Texan than, than, than California or Mexican because he loves being here. He loves the people here. Uh, he always tries to get me to move out here. And, uh, but, uh, so we have some ties to, to Dallas through my brother, and, uh, but it is, uh, it is great to, to be here. And So I wanted to get into the lesson here, and this is a lesson I actually did... Um, a few years ago um, for our church in Orange County, and, uh, and I find myself kind of going back to it often for myself. And uh, so I wanted to share some of these things. We're going to begin in, in John chapter 12, and the title of the lesson is Poured Out. But uh, let's go to God in a word of prayer before we uh, dive into the scriptures here. Father, uh, thank you so much for this time uh, to be here with the Dallas Church. Uh, what a blessing, God. It's so incredible to just go so many places in the country and in the world and to find brothers and sisters and to be able to worship together, to be able to, to have uh, that bond 
uh, that we can only have through you. God, I pray that as we open the scriptures, Father, that, uh, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would draw us closer to you, that you help us to make decisions and to reflect uh, on what you're trying to say to us today. Father, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin in John chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So this is less than a week before the crucifixion. This is just a few days before. Uh, Lazarus had just been raised from the dead, of course, by Jesus. And and so they're, they're having this dinner in honor of Jesus. And you can just try to imagine what that would have been like. That, that you had this man that was dead. And then Jesus raised him from the dead. And so now they're having this dinner to honor Jesus. And, and so they're all there. And if we can go to the next slide here. Um, actually, let's go to Matthew and then we'll come back to, to, to John here. Uh, in Matthew 26, this is uh, Matthew's account of the same uh, story of what took place there. But in verse 10... And this is in reference to what Mary was doing with the perfume. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so this is Matthew's account, and, and, and I'll make a reference to that here in just a minute. But So Mary takes this perfume and pours it out to put on Jesus' feet. And just imagine that. It says that it was worth a year's wages. So, you know, the equivalent today, what, what is that? 40, 50, 60, whatever it is. Thousands and thousands of dollars, right? The equivalent would be for us. And she did that because she was so grateful. Her gratitude was extravagant. Because what she did was extravagant. And to her it was just, how can I do less for what he has done for me and my family? And it was an offering of love and and gratitude. And, and, And it just made me think, you know, when I first did this study, her act of worship and reverence, it just made me think about my gratitude. Do I have this kind of extravagant gratitude towards God for what he's done for me? 
And, you know, sometimes when you first become a Christian, it, it's easy to kind of feel that and know because you're so fresh out of the world that you feel like this is incredible. But, you know, over time, sometimes we can lose gratitude. We can kind of get used to what we have and take it for granted. That it is such an incredible blessing to be a Christian, to just know God, to know that our sins are forgiven, that we have heaven to look forward to, that we have this incredible fellowship. And so we can lose gratitude. Is my gratitude extravagant? Is your gratitude extravagant? You know, from a humanistic standpoint, what she did was really kind of dumb, if you think about it, right? She takes this perfume that is worth a year's wages, and she pours it out on his feet. I mean, from a humanistic standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. But to her, it made all the sense in the world because she had a different mindset. You know, and I just thought, if I had been sitting there, would I have thought, okay, Mary, ease up a little bit. That's a little too much. Pouring out all the perfume, I mean, come on. But the Bible calls it a beautiful thing. Jesus himself called it a beautiful thing. But would I have thought it was too much? Too much gratitude. And he said, it will be remembered. You know, I, and you guys know this commercial, I'm sure. It, it, it's on TV. I think, it's a, is it Capital One? What do they say? What's in your wallet? Yeah, we all remember that, right? Marketing works. And my question, because it made me think about, okay, so she took this jar of perfume and poured it out on Jesus' feet. And it made me think about how, for a lot of us, we can have jars as, as well with things that we really value. And when we first become a Christian, if if you've made that decision already, you took that jar of whatever was worth so much to you and you broke it and poured it out and you said, I surrender, I I I belong to God, I'm holding nothing back, right? We did that. I know I did that as a college student. But I think over time we can begin to kind of collect new jars, Right? And there's other things in there, maybe. Maybe, you know, for me, I was a college student, so, so at the time, I was not married. Certainly didn't have kids. Uh, but, you know, my family can be in one of those jars. And it can become so dear to me, like, I don't know, I just you kind of want to protect everything. And maybe, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your money. But all of us can kind of have these jars. Maybe it's your gifts and talents, that God has given you. And he wants to use them for his glory. But maybe it's kind of hard to do that. To pour it out. To surrender. Maybe it's a relationship. That is in a jar that you just don't want to surrender. You don't want to give this up. You don't want to pour it out. Maybe it's your job. It could be, it could be a, a number of things. Or it could be something like fear. You know, I'm just so afraid that if I just pour myself out, no one's going to take care of me. God is not going to take care of me. So there could be fear, fear of getting hurt. Maybe we think back and we go, you know what? I did that once. I poured myself out. And things didn't turn out the way I expected. So I'm not sure I want to do it again. That has happened in our church, right? I don't think that's exclusive to Orange County. But for those of us who have been Christians for, for some time... That can happen. 
Because we can look back and go, well, I did that once, and you know what? Things didn't go that great for me. So I don't know if I want to pour myself out again. And so we begin to collect these jars of things that we hold dear that we're afraid to pour out. I know for me now, now I have a family and my kids, and, and, and I can get protective, and I can get like, I don't know, I just, I don't want to sacrifice something that, that I'm going to regret later and all those fears can kind of come into play and be afraid to, to be poured out. Again, maybe you were hurt. Maybe there's fear. It could be a number of things. But, you know, it was really encouraging as we have, uh, as Derek shared, met with some of the uh, city group leaders. And really, it made me think about this because it made me think like, you know, they're, they're, not just the city group leaders, but, but the, the marriage ministry and, and this whole concept that you guys have approached of let's kind of mix it all up, let's let's, let's kind of go city-based. I know at first it sounded like that was not, maybe not everyone thought it was the best idea. Let's just say that, right? But you know what? You poured yourself out. You said, okay, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm afraid of this. I'm, 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 maybe the jar was comfort. I'm comfortable with where I am. I'm comfortable with the little group I have. These are my friends. I like the way it is. I don't want to change it. And it was so encouraging to me with a different group leaders, and I, if I try to start mentioning names, and I'm going to leave somebody out, so I'm just everyone that we met with, okay? But just to hear the stories of really people being poured out. Say, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it for God. And just to hear what God has done is so encouraging and faith-building for us as we come here and to learn, and, and we want to implement those things. But, but we had to break some, you had to break some jars of comfort and and. and and just being kind of with the same people that you've always been. And God has blessed it. Let's go to our next scripture. And Luke, and we're going to kind of follow this. Again, this is the week before Jesus crucified. In Luke 19... In verse 37... It says 28, but actually I'm just going to jump ahead to, to 37 as he is entering Jerusalem. It says, verse 37, When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heaven and glory and the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And it's known as a triumphal entry, right? So they receive him like a king. And, and, you know, as we read the the passage of Mary pouring out this perfume, the Bible says that the, this perfume was so strong that it filled the whole room. The, the, the aroma of the, of the perfume filled the whole room. And quite possibly, as, he, as he's even entering the city here, that aroma is still kind of around him because it was so strong and it was just right after that that it took place. And so they lay down these palm branches and, and the cloaks and they're receiving them like a king. And so maybe that smell is still around. 
But what you see is extravagant, also, extravagant praise from the disciples. It says that they were, they were joyfully and loudly praising God, as we did earlier, right, with the singing. They were extravagant in their praise and in their worship. And when you're poured out, that's also something else that happens. That your praise and your worship, not just here when we're all together, but one-on-one, when we're spending time with God. That we're connecting with Him. That we're extravagant in our praise and our, and our worship of Him. And he says, if we go to the next slide, he says, If they don't, even the stones will cry out. Because we were made to worship by God. And we're either going to worship God, or we're going to worship some, something or someone else. Right? Because we were made that way. We were made in the image of God, and we were made to worship. So we're either going to worship Him, or we will worship something or someone else. And sometimes, to be honest, I mean, not that I, I've seen this in myself, right? But I know this happens a lot, is we can get so excited about a sporting event, right? And we're rooting for our favorite team, and we, you know, we're watching the Super Bowl, whatever it is. And maybe with God, we're just not as excited. And maybe that's a sign that we're not as poured out as we could or should be. That our praise is no longer extravagant and all out. Because we can get really excited about a lot of things. And we're kind of worshiping these things in a sense. And, the, and look, I love sports. And there's nothing wrong about being excited and, and, and getting into the game and all that. But sometimes our worship can be kind of dull. And yet we're so excited about other things. And so we got to look at our heart towards God. Do I have that poured out spirit? Because when we're poured out, it definitely shows in our praise and in our worship. Not just when we're together, like I said, but when we're... Just us and God, praying to God and pouring ourselves out to Him. And then right after that, as we read, and look in in verse 42, as he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He weeps over the city because he knows how they're missing out. And this is something that has, has jumped out at me so many times that people had Jesus right there. They could touch him. They could see him. They had him in their home, a lot of them. And so many missed it. Imagine you had the Son of God right there and they missed it. And, he fed, and that's why he weeps. He's just so sad and so brokenhearted for those who don't know the truth. Sometimes we have Jesus all around us. We always do. And we can miss it, right? And not realize. And the same crowd that right now is receiving him like a king, just four days later is going to be shouting, crucify him. The same people. That's amazing. Why? Because they were focused on a physical, political king. That was kind of their mindset. Like, yo, you, this guy is going to save us from the Romans. This is awesome. They were focused on the physical, which we could kind of do that. He thought he was, they thought he was going to fix everything. Here's the guy who's going to fix it. And we sing that song, don't we? Yeah. Jesus will fix it. You guys still sing that here? Yeah. But the thing is, he doesn't always fix it. Not the way that we want him to fix it. Because he's much more concerned about fixing my heart and your heart instead of fixing the situation. 
And so he'll fix it, but not in the way that we hope and want him to fix it. But he does it in his way, which is, of course, always better. And so the people turned away from Jesus because he wasn't going to fix their physical, earthly challenges. And it's sad that we have seen brothers and sisters that have turned away from Jesus because they felt like he didn't fix my life. I had the situation. He didn't fix it. And some of us even right now can battle with that because we, God, why aren't you fixing this? And he says, I'm trying to fix your heart, not the situation. I'm much more concerned about fixing your heart. And so in the middle of the storm, we can have peace. If we can go to the next slide, we can have peace in the middle of the storm. Even if Jesus is not fixing it. Because we're poured out. And when we're poured out, we're more concerned about our hearts being fixed than our situation around us being fixed. Because that's what really matters. Which leads me to the next thing. If we go back to John 12... In verse 20. You know, as we um, found out, as I shared about my son, that he had autism, that was, we were, we wanted God to fix that. You know, we wanted God, what do you, what, why? And, and, and I know we probably have, Families here with special needs children, and so you know what that's like, especially when you first find out or realize there's something going on. And first of all, what I learned is that my son didn't need to be fixed. He wasn't broken. He just had different needs. What needed fixing was my heart and my faith. And it's been an incredible blessing for my family. And he's done amazing. He's really, he's made a ton of progress in so many different ways. But it was one of those moments where, wait, this is not what I expected. Fix it. Jesus will fix it, right? We sing that. But instead, he fixed our hearts and our faith. And when you're poured out, something else that happens is you pray differently as well. In John 12, verse 20, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was, with, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. In verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus talking about this idea of dying, which really it's, it's, it's the same thing of being poured out, right? Dying to self and pouring ourselves out and surrendering to God and not holding anything back. And he says, unless you die, you remain a single seed. Unless you're willing to lose your life for God, 
It'll just be you. The man who loves his life, and what I picture when I read that in the context of what we're looking at, is I picture somebody with a lot of jars who doesn't want to lose their life. No, I can't, I can't break this. I can't. This is too valuable. This, this, my career, my money, my relationship, whatever it is. It's just too much. And it doesn't have to be evil things, but it's things that we want to hang on to in this world. The man who loves his life will lose it. But anyone else who's poured out will keep it for eternal life. And he goes on in verse 26, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And I look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When we are poured out, we pray differently. How many times, I know I have, and I'm sure a lot of us have, how many times have we prayed, God, save me from this. Fix this. Change this. I don't like what's going on here. And it may be something like illness. We went through it with my sister. My sister passed away of ALS uh, about a year and a half ago. So when she got sick, we, you know, we, we wanted a miracle. So we prayed for a miracle and Take this away. Fix this. And it was right around that time that I did this Bible study, and I realized, wait, Jesus didn't pray that. He said, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? He says, no. This is the very reason I'm here. He said, glorify your name. And, And I want you to think about situations in your life right now where you've been praying, fix this, save me from this, take this away. When in reality, what we need to be praying is, Father, glorify your name. It might be by fixing it. It might be through that miracle. Or it may be completely different. It may just be, He fixes your heart. And that's enough. And so think about situations in your life. Because I know we, we prayed that with my son, with my sister. And you know, my sister passed away. And, and I had a chance to, to be able to share with her. And she actually listened to a couple sermons I did. But, you know, I'd love to tell you that she responded and, you know, got baptized. And, but that didn't happen. It didn't happen. And that broke my heart. But I trust God. And my prayer was, Father, glorify your name. And maybe, maybe it wasn't my sister, but maybe my other siblings who saw that and Maybe they're going to be the ones who respond. I don't know. But I had to change the way I prayed. And I I still have to remind myself so many times I'm praying for God to save me from this, change this, take this away. And I remind myself, no, no, wait. Glorify your name. And sometimes God glorifying his name means you're going to be in pain longer. The suffering is going to be longer. And there's nothing wrong with... Praying for God for miracles. We want to pray for miracles, right? I mean, if, if people are sick and people are hurting, we pray for miracles. But along with that, we need to pray, Father, we want a miracle, but you know what? Glorify your name. And it may be through healing them, but it may not be through that. It may be a different way. Why? We see that all the time. Not everyone gets healed. 
But instead, we pray, God, fix my heart. Glorify your name through this situation. Whatever the end is, glorify your name. And we're going to close in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And it's up on the screen, actually. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. This is the uh, New Living Translation. It says, But thanks be to God who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a a fragrance presented by Christ to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those being saved and by those perishing. To those who are perishing, we are the fearful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So it talks about this triumphal procession and, and Christ is at the front as a conquering king and behind him are all his people. That's us, right? His subjects. We've been conquered. We've surrendered. We belong to him. We have poured ourselves out. Nothing is held back. We are with him. And it says that the good news will be spread through the aroma of Christ that is in us. And so when I did this study about the perfume and and the perfume filling the whole room, I, I thought of this scripture because it says that we are the fragrance. We are that perfume that is spread. And just as it filled the whole room when Mary poured it out, our perfume fills the whole city. It fills our neighborhoods with the fragrance of Christ. But that's not going to happen unless we break our jars and pour them out. Because otherwise that perfume stays in and it doesn't get spread if we don't pour ourselves out. But when we do, obviously you guys have already experienced it. Just the, the blessing in, in all your ministries and the marriage ministry and the singles and the, and the campus and the teens and how that spreads and people become Christians because the aroma of Christ is being spread. Why? Because people are saying, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll pour myself out. I'll break my jar again and I'll continue to do it. And if I find myself collecting new jars, I'll break those and pour those out. Because when we do that, that's when God is really glorified. And that's when we look at our life and we go, I've made a lot of sacrifices, but they were all worth it. You know, when you're poured out and you continue to be poured out, you don't look back with regret. You look back and you go, man, that was hard, but it was so worth it. Because look what God has done. And look what he's done with my heart. But when we get fearful... And we don't want to pour ourselves out. That actually produces much more regret. Because we realize, what could God do with me if I just let him? If I just allow myself to be poured out. And so I want to give you a couple things to think about as, as we go here. They're not up on the slide. But, but I want you to pray about this. And I do this often at home. Pray and talk. Okay? So number one is, I want you to pray about these things. But I, and I also want you to talk to someone about this. Whether it's your spouse your uh, discipleship partner, whatever it is, your small group. But number one, are there any jars that you're holding on to? To pray about it. 
Because maybe sometimes you don't know right away, but you pray about it. You go to God and you go, God, is there anything that I'm holding on to that I'm unwilling to pour out? Show me. If there is, show me. And God does that, right? Those, those prayers get answered pretty quickly. And he'll show us. If you're visiting, and maybe you're doing Bible studies with the church here, and maybe this is new to you, but, but I ask you to do the same thing, to, to pray. Say, God, is there anything I'm holding back? What's holding me back from making this decision, from pouring my life out? And pray about that and then talk to someone about it. And maybe you pray and you realize, you know, I don't know, but, but do you see anything? God hasn't revealed anything in my heart, but do you, do you see any jars in my life that I'm unwilling to pour out? And those who know us best probably will have some insight into that. And secondly, are there areas, areas in our, in our lives where we're praying, God, save me from this hour, fix it, when instead we need to be praying, God, glorify your name. Because then when we do that, we become much more surrendered. And sometimes he does fix it, but sometimes he doesn't. But when we have that heart, we know, hey, I've been praying for God to glorify his name, so this is how he's going to glorify his name. He's changing my heart, and he's helping me to be poured out. Thank you guys so much.